0: Welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Marie Batt, Director of Client Relations and Design for Shovel the Sidewalk. We are a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York, specializing in branding and advertising for small businesses, Um, and then we push their messages out into the community through authentic storytelling. Today is super fun because I have my friend, Michelle Adcock, who we worked with each other at the Kidney Foundation. I think the first time I met her, she was actually in a giant kidney mascot suit. Um, So welcome, Michelle. How are you?
1: Good. How are you, Maria? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking
0: the time. She's got two little ones, so getting a few quiet moments is not easy at all.
1: Yeah, I'll apologize ahead of time if they barge through the door. So I've
0: jumped ship from nonprofit, but Michelle is still holding strong and is actually working for um, VCU Massey in Richmond, Virginia. Michelle,
1: can you explain a little bit about what you do there? Sure, absolutely. Actually, before we got on this call, I was just thinking how funny it is that we've never actually lived in the same city together. And yet we've been friends for 11 years. And it's so appropriate that we're now Podcasting. Well, you
0: know what else is funny is I think that I keep better in touch with you having never lived in the same city than I do people yeah. that live like five minutes away from me.
1: I know. But I think that's what this whole new world is going to be now that everyone's getting more comfortable with Zoom calling and phone conferences and things like that. Yeah, but, right. Um, so I am Director of Board Relations and Chief of Development Operations at VCU Massey Cancer Center, uh, as Maria said, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I oversee all of our volunteer relations and um, work with our advisory board, who is a 75 person board. Um, So our organization's a matrix cancer center that basically is in between um, the education, the university and the healthcare system. And so um, from a board perspective, our board is simply advisory. There's no governance role, there's no fiduciary role. So I work with our advisory board to help them fundraise and advocate for the cancer center in the community and within their networks. Um, I also oversee a junior board, which is our Massey Alliance, um, and then the operations of our development office. So we have about a 15 person office, raising around right now 12 and a half million a year, um, and all for cancer research right now. And we are um, a pretty diverse group doing a lot of different aspects of development. And so I work with our teams to um, out or, you know, complete our strategic plan, um, coaching. We do a lot of community engagement activities, events, um, outward advocacy. Uh, We do support for um, our legislative team who raises money through state funding. Um, So pretty much a jack of all trades kind of involved in all of the different areas of fundraising, which I love personally. Um, So yeah, and then we are part of VCU, which is a huge university here, um, and we, um, so I'm part of a development team there that's over 200 people, so so when we talk today about sort of impact on nonprofit industry and impact um, of our current situation in COVID, I think that it's important to reference that my current nonprofit experience is within a really large university system. Um, tied to healthcare. It's different than some other nonprofits that are possibly small. One-person shops, their operating budget relies solely on fundraising and development, where ours does not. Um, About 30% of our revenue, or 30% of our operating budget at Massey is philanthropy, so the impact this is going to have is definitely going to play a role um, and have impact for years to come, but not necessarily going to shut our doors. And I do understand there are some small nonprofits who are completely taken over by this and it's, it's intense. So.
0: So what are you doing now? Are you,
1: you're obviously not
0: going into work. You're probably working from home. What has the messaging been from the hospital? Do you probably have pretty close contact with them and what they're telling their staff? What have they told you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have uh, a little more contact since I have um, communication from our advisory board, and our our director of the Cancer Center is really, really open, and he's relatively new. He started in January, so nothing like coming in. To, <laughs> it was our Seriously, first new Trial yeah. by fire, right? Yeah, first new director in 22 years. Um, he's amazing, Dr. Robert Wynn. He's very, um, but very, he's an open book. And he is sharing what he's learning from the health system with our board. And so I'm on a lot of those calls. And so I hear um, that perspective. And also, I I feel like our university has done a really good job of communicating expectations from employees, um, what we're working on as a university, um, because we are involved in some research tied to COVID testing and um, some clinical trials around drugs. And so, that, that's kind of what I was saying, where we are in a unique position because we actually, from the healthcare system, can take action right now. And we are sort of pivoting to do whatever we can to support our frontline healthcare workers at this point. Um, but yeah, we, from the university in the state in Virginia, took action pretty quickly. Um, and we were work from home as of uh, two weeks ago on Monday, so early or mid March, and um, all non-essential employees work from home. They had we already had some pretty um, well-established work-from-home policies and work-from-home um, expectations and how-tos and um, IT support already built in. So the pivot, obviously, there was a lot of people doing it at once. So I, you know, when we talk about essential workers, we are always praising and thanking our IT support, who has been amazing, just Helping those who have less comfortable comfortability with technology get up to speed. This
0: is also going to be changing how What all nonprofits are going to be doing? Yeah. Business what and it might be a little too difficult to see the what the impact is going to be right now But what are you seeing so far?
1: So I would say this has given Let's get personally for us. It's given us an opportunity to pause um, and evaluate and make sure what we're doing to achieve our fundraising goals um, is what we should be doing. And, you know, right now we have this unique opportunity to, you know, I've, I've said this, I think I might have said it to you. I think one of the interesting things about the coronavirus um, pandemic is that Well, yes, there's plenty of people pointing fingers and blaming how people are doing, what they're doing, pointing to China. We can do that all day. But at the end of the day, there's not an industry here that caused this. There's not, it's different than the recession and the mentality around um, us coming together and getting out of it together is really sort of uh, refreshing. And there's an understanding from the top down at the university and the top down um, from our volunteer leadership that we are not going to be actively fundraising right now, um, at least in the near next three to four weeks and just taking a pause and saying, okay, how can we shift some of our messaging to support our frontline healthcare workers? How can we touch base with all of our donors, our key signature um, or key prospects and donors who are longtime supporters of us? Um, Those individuals who are of, uh, you know, more susceptible, whether it's uh, their health, whether it's their age, whether it's they live in a retirement facility that already has someone testing positive, how can we reach out and just be nice and say, how are you? How's this affecting you? Um, So there's not the pressure of like, we need to hit goal by June 30th or we're doing this, this, and this. It's like, take a pause. We're all in this together. Everyone is social distancing, at least in our organization. Um, except for essential personnel, how can we evaluate what we're doing? You know, we've had to cancel all of our spring events and activities we've canceled um, and or postponed. But the reality is that we have events coming up in July, August, September that while we may not have the um, group restrictions that we have right now, um like right now in Virginia, you can't have anyone over any group over ten people together. So, Whenever that gets li- like lifted, sure, in August, we could probably have an event, but as you know, in fundraising, all of our events rely heavily on corporate sponsors, small businesses, restaurants to donate things, to underwrite the cost of our events so we can raise enough money, and you'd be soliciting them now. And so we're just saying, okay, we understand we're not going to raise as much next year. We're going to have to find unique ways to do that and really rely on individuals as opposed to events at this point. And so we're just adjusting that way. It's also given us a time to say all right if we're not doing our signature event in September um, do we want to do it in the spring? Is the spring better for this event? Um, And I don't think ever, like particularly one event we're working on, I don't think we would have stopped enough to say should we change when, where, and how we do this event because we just keep going. We're so fast-paced, and this is giving us an opportunity to say, "Wait, like, is this right?" And so, I'm looking forward to that process. Yeah, I get, there's you know there's a silver lining to just about anything, and I think if this is
0: teaching us any skill other than we need to all be a little bit cleaner, is <laughs> that it's okay to slow down and reevaluate what yeah. you're doing. It might not be the most efficient way. I mean, you can do events that you've been doing for a very long time. And when you really take a step back, it might not be the best thing for the organization for for so many different reasons.
1: Right. Well, and with nonprofits, so often our events are tied so closely to our volunteers and volunteers who have worked on these events for 10 years and they feel so much ownership. And from a professional nonprofit standpoint, we can say, this event really doesn't align with our strategic goals, or this event, spends we spend way too much money on it, and you have to make those hard decisions, and that's kind of what I was saying, when we're all in this together, it gives you an opportunity to look at volunteers and say, hey, listen, you know, based on this, we're going to suffer, our organization's going to take a hit, come with us now and help us solve this, and unfortunately, it's not this event that's going to do it, because we can't have that How can we be creative and it's shifting volunteer mindset, it's shifting leadership mindset, Um, so I'm trying to encourage our team to really look at that as an opportunity um, and messaging and not to take advantage of the situation but to use it as an opportunity, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, how about um, communicating with your board because even though you're not in the office, you are working from home and it's so important to not go direct like you don't ever want anybody to forget about you. You don't want anybody to think that um, they might not need to be engaged with you for any minute. Um, So how how are you keeping this up?
1: So to your point, you don't wanna go dark with your donors. We're not asking for money, but we 100% wanna be seen as a resource for information. We wanna share sort of the impacts as we're going, we wanna share articles. Um, so I communicate more frequently with my board now than I do before. Previously, it was about once a week, um, I communicated something, whether it was an upcoming event, whether it was a news article that was there, somehow I'm sharing information with them. Um, I probably now do about three emails a week to our board. Um, and just, you know, sometimes it's good news. That's really another thing that came out of this is Seeing yourselves as a, a way to share positivity in a world where we're bombarded with just the negative and the, the terrifying news all day. It's like sharing a story of ask your teammates, ask your, you know, your network, our researchers. Have you saw anything that you think would be really great for our board members to hear an inspiring story on the front lines? How is your research being impacted? Let me share that with our board. Um, So, we're trying to find those positive stories and that it's not all gloom and doom. Like, we're all being creative around this and that means, you know, from the top down, we're finding solutions. Um, So I've started in our our board emails putting, you know, a positive message at the top or sharing something, even if it has nothing to do with the organization, just something positive from our community or one of our companies had done something really cool for their employees, like, like one of our sponsors. Or a board member's company is doing something really unique around how they're solving um, their issues with COVID and finding a way. So, sharing that to our board and saying, you know, this restaurant's doing drive through, you know, food and giving free food to healthcare workers. And it's one of our board members' restaurants, making sure the rest of our board knows that. Um, Just trying to, like you said, not go dark, um, touching base. And then the other thing is, um, I feel like this is an opportunity to we had a lot of like unnecessary and like not real red tape around things like having zoom calls and conference calls and we always had to meet in person and i've had more conference calls in the past two weeks with people who i never really or zoom calls with i was like they're never gonna do this and they can we're all able and capable and we're learning and um same thing we're gonna do next week a Uh, zoom like we're doing right now with our director of the cancer center where he's just gonna I'm gonna ask him questions he's gonna answer them and it's like why couldn't we have done this all along like this is so simple and easy and I can upload it to YouTube and we're gonna share it it's just always felt like a thing that was like oh we should do that and then we get busy in our day to day and now we're able to stop and say no we have to do this this is the only way we can do this um, and I anticipate us doing more of it in the future um, we're doing uh, one of our in person events in May is a panel discussion uh, that's when my Buffalo comes out panel um, uh, right what would somebody say in, how would somebody say in Virginia I don't panel I don't know but <laughs> <laughs> like panel or calendar, it's like, oh, there it is. Um, but we do a, pa- <laughs> a panel discussion of uh, like a researcher and a patient, and we have 100 plus young professionals come out to it, and we're going to do a Zoom call and record it and upload it. And I'm like, we could do four of those a year instead of two if two of them were Zoom calls. Like, how can we get our message out there where it doesn't always have to be perfect? And I'm hoping that's the reality It's like, we can upload this and it's not ideal. I mean, obviously I don't want my spare bedroom in the background. I don't, it's not ideal message is still there. Um, and I hope to, you know, adjust as we move forward with using more of it. So it's two things really, it's forcing
0: everybody to be more efficient. I mean, the first day that we transitioned to working at home, I met with, all of my clients um Hmm. one of which is in we either meet in irving or salamanca so it's like a solid four hour chunk out of my day right Um, but there's no choice you just you have to adapt and you this is how we're communicating with everybody and i think it's also stripping away what is maybe not necessarily so important you know like finding a good spot to meet and okay well we should serve them something or we all need to you know, behave in a certain way like it's okay if your dog barks during the call right if, if, if that stuff doesn't really matter it's the mes- getting the message out and staying in connection with each other
1: I feel like also our preparation for meetings has been better like people aren't just showing up because like they're running between meetings and they're like oh I gotta you know they just show up and let's talk like people are preparing agendas appropriately people are preparing because we're sharing screens so much more now Um, You have to have your documents up to date and ready to go and share like, okay, instead of let's talk through this process, let's pull it up on the screen and go through it and make edits as we go. Um, In a way that's just, to me, more efficient. We leave meetings halfway done with our follow-up because we're not just sitting and talking and using paper that we now need to go back to our offices and type up. It's like, why are we, (laughs) it's like so simple stuff. And, but I think we get caught up in the chaos of, having too many meetings we're traveling between so many meetings you're having lunches for two hours when you could get the same thing done now there's a value to all that and we'll continue absolutely on person. but i hope it we will ask ourselves the question like do i need to do that and especially my junior board i'm like we had a meeting the other night six o'clock we always meet at night um for that group and we have multiple committees of that board and so i have a lot of um night meetings and obviously two kids at home, two full-time workers, it's not ideal to be out multiple nights a week at meetings, and I'm like, why are we not Zooming? Like, this is so much simpler. We all grabbed a beer and had a beer while we, because that's, we usually meet at a brewery, and I'm like, we can do this, guys. Like, we don't always have to meet in person, so I'm excited for that potential.
0: Yeah. What do you think the impact is going to be when you do go back? Because yes, it's it's allowing you to reevaluate what's important, what makes more sense. let's use it as an opportunity one hundred percent but at the end of the day there's also a budget that you have to meet as well yeah. um and you know you guys are fortunate you're a little bit larger you're you're attached to um, a, a school and a hospital right um so it's not like the kidney Foundation where if you don't have the walk, there's catastrophic um, Consequences from that? What yeah. do you think the impact, not only for you guys, but what do you foresee for smaller nonprofit organizations?
1: Well, I think what we all need to be doing now is evaluating the projected impact. And from a financial standpoint, just straight off, no, not projecting three, five years. Like, what does the next 30 days look like? What's the next 90 days? What's the next 180 days look like? How much money are we saving by not doing certain things? How much money are we losing by not doing things? um because there's a reality to both i mean you're not having events you're also not spending money on events you're not having meetings you're not spending money on meetings um so getting a good handle on the financial impact of your organization first um i think it would be well advised for us to be leaning on our boards at this time in those individuals who I think about this all the time, how many of our older board members are relying so heavily on our younger staff and not board members, but young, older staff members relying on young people for their technology needs. Well, We need to flip the script and rely on these individuals who've been in industry for 30 years and have gone through multiple recessions and have experienced loss and come back and looking to them to be our resources and sharing the real story with them. So when you have an understanding of what your financial impact is, um, sharing that with your closest donors even, your closest board members, look at who your business leaders are and call on them and say, here's what we're looking at, what is this, what suggestions do you have for us? What does it look like from a corporate standpoint in your world? And try to understand the, the, the environment before you make any projections that you don't really know. Um, I do think we'll have um, an overall dip in fundraising from those who are not our friends, Um, you know, our acquisitions, uh, looking to the community and just saying, come support cancer right now when they've never really supported us in the past. I mean, obviously, once again, we're in a field where cancer doesn't stop for a pandemic, right? People are going to be getting cancer. They're going to want to give to the cancer center that saved their grandma's life, their mom's life, that's gonna keep happening. But you also get those individuals who are just giving because they were asked. And that might slow down, I anticipate, um, depending on how they were hit or not uh, by this. There's also um, a reality that we need to ask our closest our closest friends, those who've been longtime donors, to step up at this time to support the organization at a higher level to accommodate for that. Um, and having genuine conversations of asking them, how has this impacted you? How do do you think this is gonna impact your philanthropic decisions? Would you consider making sure Massey is one of your top priorities for philanthropy moving forward? Um, And here's why, and showing that, okay, if we don't raise enough money, here's the research that's gonna be impacted. Um, Here's, you know, we're right now working towards becoming comprehensive, um, an NCI comprehensive cancer center. In order to do that, we need a budget of, a cancer center budget of $50 million. Right now, we're at about 38 million. We need to grow. Right now, we have a strategic plan to double philanthropy in the next five years. This is gonna set us behind on that. And bringing our closest board members in, our closest friends to say, we can't slow down because the state of Virginia needs a comprehensive cancer center, And in order to do that, we need to raise this much more money. And so yes, it's relying on some of your long-term donors to do more, but help us get over this hump so that we can grow. Um, So I think it's just really understanding the business model and understanding um, what the impacts are for you and sharing that with people and getting their input. Um, Because a, a lot of people, at least in our organization, no one was here, there was one staff member who was here during the recession in development. So it's not like, oh, how did we do this before? Or, or, you know, in 2008, like, everyone's new. So it's not like we can just recall on how we handled this before. It's all, it's a new world and we need to be creative in that, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's, um, I think that's something that's important too, is, you know, we're all doing, Well, we're doing a little bit less right now because we're all at home. But Mm -hmm. there's people that are getting laid off and there's Mm -hmm. people that um aren't working as much because their jobs are impacted. This but nonprofits still have to go on because there are so many people that are counting on you, whether it's cancer research or it's Mm -hmm. kidney screenings or you know, whatever programs for the community, those things are still so important. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even though it's not for Money or talking to your donors that you know we still need you. That's absolutely right, though. Like that, your job isn't over with. It's just mm-hmm. it's getting a little bit harder.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it, once again taking this time to step back and craft your message and be intentional about your messaging um, and thinking about how you're communicating the future, so you could be as clear as possible about what your needs are. Um, don't rely on just your your how you've always done it before, Um, because people are going to be considering, like, is this the most important way to give my money right now? And you have to convince them of that. And at the core of it, it's being true to your mission. It's like, don't shift and try to make your mission fit into the current catastrophe we're in, but share how it is impacting you. And there's plenty of organizations that can do something with their mission to help the greater good right now. And I would definitely encourage people to think about that. I mean, we're doing it not from a philanthropy standpoint so much at Massey. um, But there are, I mean, the university set up two funds immediately. Once again, we're closely tied to this because we are a healthcare system and we have research. So we set up two funds and an education system. So we set up two funds, one to support um, research and and, um, support our healthcare workers, and then one to support our student life because at the end of the day, We have thousands and thousands of undergraduate and graduate students who've been affected by this, um, who worked on campus and no longer have jobs. Like there's a lot of trickle down effects. So we've created funds for people to, if they're like, I wanna give back. Um, But I think it's also a time for us to look at um, our, like right now we're doing some promotional stuff to support our longtime sponsors and restaurants who always give to us. Like how can we use this time to, get our community to support them and make everyone feel like part of Massey. So, you know, if a restaurant, um, like I said, where people ask, how can I give some money to, or how can I donate to help our nurses who are still working every single day in the oncology unit? I'm like, well, you can support this restaurant who supports us and give them, like help them give food over to nurses and how can we sort of work together as a community Now that doesn't help our bottom line at all, but I hope it helps bring those people remembering that Massey was a piece of that puzzle. Um, But there are some organizations that definitely can think creatively. It might veer a little from their true stated mission, but if you're working with kids and you're working in some sort of, you know, education system, how can you see what is this impact going to be on the certain population you're using? And could you pivot programming to support them? And then you can go to your donors and saying, here's how we're helping this situation. Would you support us in this way? Um, I think there's a lot of organizations that could do that. There's also a lot that like have zero connection and it would be a really, I wouldn't encourage you to like try to force it. (laughs) Yeah, that's,
0: um, you know, I I think maybe from the outside or it's probably very easy if you're somebody who's asked for um, donations all the time to think like, oh my God, seriously, again, like I just gave like last year or, right. You know, but that it, it, it really is a give and take relationship. It's not mm-hmm. just giving money, it's, you know, you're supporting their business because you're pushing people to, Hey, you know what? This place still has curbside pickup. You should go and support that. Right. Um, yeah. Because it, it is a two-way street, you know, you're, you have to support your board and you have to keep that relationship up. And that means supporting their business efforts, whatever, you yeah. know, what maybe.
1: Yeah. I think it's, once again, it's time to get creative. It's time to just be humane. And think about like if i have like i have a board member who super active but he's like listen i can't even like i'm so underwater right now cuz he owns a small business and he's like i want to help i want to like we asked him to be on a call with so and so he's like i can't and i'm like that's like thank you for telling me that like we also have a responsibility to learn how this is impacting those people closest to us and um, you know the reality is a lot of people are business owners a lot of people rely heavily on the stock market for their donate, to make their donations. And so just to t- have those conversations with them and see what are some unique ways in the future we can continue our support, continue the lifeline, um, but be respectful from everyone's hit in very different ways from this.
0: Yeah, that clear and consistent communication and sharing stories with each other is really going to like push everything through, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And some people just want to talk right now. And that's good i mean use that as an opportunity for your clients and your donors and just pick up the phone and just say like how are you i ran into a board member walking the kit walking the kids walk on their kid leashes (laughs) And 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 she was just like just wanted to talk and i'm like i'm sure she's talked to a bunch of people today but it was great and she it had nothing to do with massey really like maybe like a two sentences had anything to do but just being there for our closest people. And like I said, checking in on them, you know, and, and making sure they know that you're not calling from a business standpoint. You're not calling to talk about their donations right now. You will be at some point, but just don't let them forget that you're here. And obviously if it makes sense. Don't call strangers. And if you're not, if you're not close donors with them, don't like force it. But right. if they're, you know, your donors and talk to them. Yeah, keep that
0: relationship up. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thanks for spending probably longer than we had. I love it. Which is usually the case, but we'll we'll uh, need to do this
1: again in like a year and see like what was the real impact and what does this. Absolutely. I think it's going to be so fascinating to see. You know, there's going to be hardships coming up, and how I think we all find ways to get through it, and this it's just like you said, it's going to make us be more efficient. It's hopefully going to, I mean, there's definitely people are going to lose their jobs. And it's going to be terrible. Um, but new industries will pop up. New areas of need will pop up new, you know, ways of doing life is going to change. And like, it's going to be exciting to see how it kind of unfolds. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, one thing that sucks is you're not going to be coming home for a little while, probably. Right. I know.
1: Well, hopefully in July we'll still plan it. We are supposed to go to Florida on Saturday, which is kind of sad that we're not going to see our. No, I wouldn't go to Florida. No, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. So. No. um But yeah, it's it's hard, you know, from not having family here to not be able to even create a small pod of, like I have so many friends whose their pod is their families with their parents, and like, oh, well, we Skype with ours. <laughs> We'll see
0: you in July, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll see you in July. So thank you again. Um, If anybody is interested in listening to any more of our podcasts because you – loved us chatting with michelle so much and now you want to hear some more um you can stream us on spotify you can hop on our website shovelthesidewalk.com um and take a look if you have somebody that you think has an interesting story or has a little bit of information that can help everybody that's sitting at home right now fill out the form that's on the site and we'll get back to you thank you so much for joining us and this has been sidewalk talk